You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, HeadTeacherChat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Hi everyone, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach and consultant working in schools to improve well-being and I'm also an ex-deputy head teacher and school governor. In this episode of the podcast, I'm really excited to interview Julie Norman. Julie's an executive head who's working in Somerset. She took over schools in an area that's well below the national average for performance. All of the schools that she took over were in decline and heading for an RI Ofsted judgment. Out of the 18 schools in the area, only the ones led by Julie have shown improvement. And this improvement is dramatic. The rest of the schools continue to decline. Julie schools would now be judged outstanding by Ofsted. Julie has worked so well in schools that she's now set up her own educational consultancy company to support head teachers. She also works to support other heads in Somerset as an NAHT support officer and she delivers keynote speeches on the character curriculum and wellbeing for all. The character curriculum that Julie's developed reduces workload for teachers. This is something that I'm really interested in because it assesses through careful questioning, listening and observation. And as a result of that, Julie's managed to keep marking workload for her teachers down to an absolute minimum. Teachers don't have to plan individual lessons and so they've got time to spend on their passion, which for most teachers is helping children to love their learning. So let's get to the interview and see what we can find out from Julie about improving well-being in our schools. Julie Norman, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's really great to have you on the show. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about all the amazing things that you've been doing in your work in schools. Um, So do you want to start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently? Sure. Um, So for over the last few years, I've been an executive head teacher. Um, Initially, it was for two schools in West Somerset. Um, And then I was seconded for two days a week to support a local multi-academy trust looking after their primary schools, which meant I was looking after four every week. Um, I'm also a support officer for the NEHT um, and I, I reach out to new heads, mentor new heads. So it all became very difficult. Um, there weren't enough days in the week. So um, something had to give after a year. And I decided then what I would do was um, leave the first two schools uh, as executive head and um, because they were in a really good position and I felt I was in a place where I was just managing them quite honestly. Um, and, and my passion is about improving and change. So I felt they were really healthy. It was time to leave them now to a head teacher who could take them further on um, and, and add their own little bit of magic. Um, and so my focus is entirely now on the other schools within the multi-academy trust. So I am the executive primary lead there now um, as, a, as a more permanent position, um, but also set up my own company, to, uh, which is entirely focused on supporting head teachers out there in any which way I can, quite honestly. Excellent. Uh, that's just what we want on the show because we're, we're all about supporting head teachers and leaders in school. So that's brilliant. You had, uh, you've had quite an interesting career in teaching, haven't you? Can you just tell me a little bit about your early career and how you ended up being a head teacher? 
Yeah, um, I, I was that child um, in school that was the unteachable. So I was that one who was excluded by 10 past nine every morning. And um, by the time I got to age 14, I thought this is pointless. Um, I don't know why I go in. So I stopped. Um, interestingly, they never came looking for me. So I skived off for about two years straight um, and nobody seemed to notice. Um, it wasn't until I was 28 I realised I still had no qualifications and needed to get a job. So didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and so finally I decided I wanted to be that teacher I wish I always had. You know, the one that says, are you okay? Um, I wanted to be that teacher, the one that didn't accept that behaviour, but actually probed a little. Um, so I did go off and do my GCSEs and A-levels, went and did my degree my teacher training, and then I searched out a school uh, where the children were unfortunately um, called the unteachable children, where teachers didn't stay for very long and they were definitely my go-to. So I spent a year and a half in a school with really quite challenging behavior and uh, loved every minute of it, absolutely adored the children. And then I moved on to a much bigger middle school again with quite serious behavior problems, but, but part of a much bigger team um, it was a school of 650 children um, and there was a big team on senior leadership who were all really committed to turning the school around. Um, you know, best five years of my life, really. Um, there was a lot of violence to deal with from the children, but all you see is, you know, children who were screaming out for help. So, so my job was to give that help and love, really. Um, after five years, the school really turned around. It was a happy, calm place and I almost felt like my job was done. I, my challenge had been met so I became a deputy and thought what I do now is focus on um, helping more teachers hear children's voices um, and instead of just looking at them as a number or a data or anything like that um, stress in children is, is just so damaging so so I went to become a deputy and I spent a few years as a deputy but I worked for a head teacher who when a teacher didn't perform to the highest standards and get the best data, um, the, 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 the focus was really to drive them out. And that was everything I was against, because uh, I found the more pressure we put on the teachers, the worse they performed. Um, I, I know it's not rocket science, um, but I felt like I was arguing, you know, in my, in my own corner all on my own, saying, hang on a minute, why are we not caring for the teachers, looking after the teachers, and maybe they perform better? Um, but I wasn't being heard, so I thought the only way to really make a difference is to become a head myself and prove that what I truly believe in can be done, which is to respect the teachers, value them, respect their professionalism, um, care for them, make them your everything, um, and then they will ultimately commit to the children and all that the children need. Um, and that's what I did at Croker Munster Gumber. I spent six years working on that and it became a very happy, calm, relaxed place with very happy children achieving well. And it was when the, the CEO of the Multi-Academy Trust came to me and said, what you've done there, can you do to my schools? And I just felt really satisfied that I thought finally people can see um, this can be done. We can all be happy and we can all achieve. I think it's really interesting what you say there about going into schools and changing the culture because I think there needs to be a shift in culture and you were doing that quite quite a number of years ago Julie weren't you why do you yeah. think that there's such a focus now on well-being and why has it taken us so long 
in yeah. teaching and in leadership to get to this point where well-being has become such a focus yeah and, and I, I guess the answer is I don't really know I mean it was a good few years ago I felt really strongly about this um, and I, I just really felt like every time I, I spoke people thought I was some sort of hippie and a bit you know um, a bit of a loop on how children must achieve and I, I, I've thought about it and I do think it came really from top down um, you know teachers have always been working to please the person above them the line manager and then the line manager is looking to please their line manager and so on it goes on. And above all of that is Ofsted. And when yeah. Ofsted is saying, we're coming to look at your data, I think where the leaders have gone wrong, um, they've made the mistake, is they've, they've taken that literally. Um, you know, data's everything. Therefore, children remembering stuff is everything. And I would ultimately completely disagree with that. Actually, you can get data um, in a multitude of ways, not by getting the children to remember facts. That's, that's ne Ofsted have never asked us to do that. We've, we've misinterpreted that. Um, uh, and I really believe that. I really think we should be working more in line with Ofsted and trying to understand a little bit better of what it is they actually want to see and interpret it our way based on our children, our community, um, and, and the best way to get there. It is not by remembering facts. And I'm just so pleased that I guess a lot of head teachers and a lot of teachers have walked off the job saying, I'm not a machine. I can't make these children into something they're not. Um, and I agree with that. I agree that when a head teacher is demanding that, um, that's not achievable. You're, you're asking the teachers to fail effectively. And I don't, I don't blame them for walking off the job, really. So now we have a retention issue. And it's not really very surprising. And, and the only way to deal with that retention issue is to listen to the teachers. They're trying to tell us, I know my job. I am trained in doing what I do. I know what I'm talking about, but you're not hearing a word I'm saying. I'm just, a part of me wants to say I told you so, and a part of me is just embracing the change. What are you saying about Ofsted um, and people misinterpreting Ofsted um, and, and the, the high stakes accountability that has come about because of this misinterpretation of what Ofsted in particular are looking for. Is there a danger that now Ofsted are focusing on well-being of staff in schools that some head teachers might try jumping through hoops to create what they see as the well-being culture that Ofsted want rather than yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, my, I guess my biggest fear is that they're again misinterpreting um, what Ofsted actually want to see and hear. There's, there's a lot of schools out there. I join a lot of forums uh, with head teachers in. A lot of the reason I do that is to see what is keeping head teachers awake at night and what offer of support can, you know, can I give. But, but also um, what I'm seeing is a lot of head teachers saying, you know, how did you show your teachers this week that you're really appreciative? Oh, I did a little mug with with some chocolate in on their desk. Um, oh, I got these cookies made for them. Or we have, you know, um, donut Friday. And I'm hearing all of this and I'm thinking, well, that's all lovely. Um, but that that is not a lifestyle. That is not a lifestyle or a culture. You know, teachers deserve to have a certain lifestyle when they come to work. Um, and uh, receiving a, a mug of chocolate is, is really lovely. I'm not saying it's not appreciated. Of course it is. But when you've just spent eight hours the night before marking and planning and 
trying to make sure everything is perfect for your head teacher who was asking for really quite nonsensical things. There, there's no reason to ask for some of the things they're asking for. Um, giving them a bar of chocolate to me is almost an insult. I'm sorry you're exhausted. I'm sorry you don't like your job. I'm sorry you see that it you know, has no purpose behind everything I'm asking you to do, but here's a bar of chocolate. And, and, and my, my thinking is, let's not get this wrong. You know, let, let's not make the, the terrible mistake of, I, I liken it almost to raising your children and you're not meeting their basic needs. You know, that, that the Maslow's needs are not being met. So what we do is we give the child some chocolate to, to make them happy. Does that mean that they're being looked after and their needs are being met? Absolutely not. You know, that bar of chocolate, I'm sorry, doesn't cut it for good parenting. So we've got to go back to good leadership and go back to the absolute basics and look after our teachers, meet their needs, their basic needs. Then you can give them a bar of chocolate. Absolutely give them a bar of chocolate and a slice of cake. But get the basic needs met first. So can you tell us about how you've created a culture of well-being in the schools that you've worked in and now the schools that you you support and how you help head teachers to do that? It goes to principles. I think it begins with principles. The one most key principle for me has always been very similar to Finland in the sense that you must respect these teachers are professionals. We, we cannot underestimate the amount of studying they have done, research they have done, the work they have put in, their years of experience. Um, don't just sweep that under the carpet. It's the biggest insult you can give them. Let's respect what they do know and um, how hard they've worked to get to where they are. They are on the front line with your children every single day. Don't undermine when they say they know their children. They really do know their children. And let's start listening to them. So they have a really key role to play in any changes within the school because one, they're professional and trained. Two, they know the customer far better than you do. You might think you know your customer, but trust me, not as well as they do. They have wiped their noses and their backsides. So don't underestimate that. Not in a high school, I hope. <laughs> That's the difference between primary and, primary and secondary. <laughs> Um, but you know it's all those little um those little conversations those relationships that they have with the children um don't ignore that use it to your advantage um and value everything the teacher has to say because it we're saying the same as head teachers we're saying to the government we're on the front line we know how our schools run we know what we're doing stop telling us what to do well let's not do that to teachers then let's not be hypocrites let's listen to the teachers so they have to have a key voice in all the policies, in all the changes, any ideas that you come up with, they have to be a part of it. It's got to be a collaborative leadership um, with teachers. I don't see how you can tell teachers what to do um, without hearing their voice when they are the ones in contact with the customer every single day. So that's a key principle, I think, is value your teachers and respect their professionalism and their experience. And then the second um, principle, the main one, is um, asking yourself about the lifestyle within school. Would I want to be here every day? You know, would I want to do that every day? So you're looking at why, why do I do this? Why do I do that? Why am I being asked this? Is that big why question. Allow your teachers to come to you and say, sorry, why am I giving you my planning every Monday? I don't understand. You know, what are you doing with it? Um, <laughs> Why am I sitting all day Sunday writing planning for you 
when I don't even use it by Tuesday because my AFL is telling me that's not my direction this week. Um, let's hear them. Let's hear them. And let, let's have that conversation with them. Yeah, why do I ask for that? Why do I ask for planning? Um, and, and have an open and honest conversation. Be humble. And don't be afraid to say, do you know, that doesn't make sense. I agree with you. Let's have another look at that. You know, and let's be a bit more collaborative, a bit more humble in our approach to leading a school. So it's about it's about trust as well, isn't it? And trusting that your staff can do the job that you've appointed them to do. Yeah, it's like why get a dog and then wag your own tail? You you have you spent ages interviewing this person. They were spot on for the job. You were really tough with your appointment. Now let them get on with it. Um, but, but in order for them to do their job well, you have to have a really good relationship with them. And it is trust. Um, absolutely. A relationship is trust in itself, isn't it? It's being able to talk openly with each other, um, to, to say what's on your mind without it being held against you. Um, and it's about being humble and vulnerable. Every good relationship has two vulnerable people taking part. Um, and, and being able to say, I'm uncomfortable in this position, I've made a mistake, I've got this wrong. Um, and then you support each other out of that, that situation and saying, yeah, it might have been a mistake, but you know what, we're human, we're not machines. Um, and let's together find a solution to get out of this situation and get things back on track. Um, I don't see enough of that. Okay. <laughs> I don't <laughs> enough of that in schools that humble vulnerability I do sometimes see an insecure leader um, you know leading from the top I want it done this way and I want it done by Friday and I see teachers saying I can't do this anymore I'm so stressed and I don't see why I've been asked to do that it's annoying I don't want to do it and everything I do um, I do because I have to because I need my job because I have to pay the mortgage I mean that's not a relationship it's interesting that uh, you mentioned that because we, I think when we were talking before we started to record, you you, you talked about um, the idea of of how we support each other and how the the head supports the staff and the staff support the head. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that? About everybody supporting each other. Yeah, and I do think, again, we come back to relationships. It's, it's recognizing everybody's strengths and everybody's weaknesses. Now, as a leader, I have weaknesses. I absolutely do, but I also have strengths. And I would hope that, you know, when I go into a school, um, say, say, for instance, when I was at Croker Gumbler, we had 100 children and 24 staff. Now, the way I look at it, there are 24 of us ensuring that 100 children get the best education. And we all have a different role to play. We're, we're all a different cog in the system. Um, one is not better than the other. One is not more important than the other. Um, if we get to a situation where a final decision must be made, uh, that responsibility lies on my shoulders. And working with the governors, it is my responsibility to keep a year ahead of everybody else. So I'm always being very strategic in my thinking. I'm, I'm always a year ahead. So, so I have that's but that's part of my role. I'm, a, I'm just a cog in the machine. Um, but in order for us all to work, we've all got to work in sync with each other. And that's only going to happen if you, if you know people very well and you respect them, you trust them, which is huge. Um, and as I say, trust comes from having that deeper relationship. So um, we can only support each other if we know each other well and if we actually care about each other. 
Now, I'm not saying that I like everyone I've always worked with, but I certainly know their strengths and I know the goodness in them and I use that. That's, that's the part of them that I connect with. Um, and so I see, I want to say I see good in everybody. Um, I, I, I don't dwell on the bits that are, you know, divisive, I should say. You know, if, if someone is um, grumpy all the time, moody all the time, well, I have a skill in picking people up and making play, the place a happy place, turning negative into positive. So my role would be to work with that person and connect with that person and find out why. Why, why are they unhappy? And what, is there something going on in their life? How can I help them? Because I have the skill of turning a negative into a positive and I need to work with them. So I think what we have to do is know each other very well. Um, absolutely um, share each other's strengths, use each other's strengths. Everyone has something to bring. And I have said to staff at Quaker Mr. Gumbel, we sat down and I have said to them, if you have accused someone of doing something, if you said, oh yeah, well, she said this and that really annoyed me and I think that's really rude. Ask yourself, would she say that to irritate me? Would she go out of her way to upset me? And if you know her very well, you should be able to answer that immediately. You should be able to say, yes, she would. That's the kind of person she is. Or actually, no, that's out of character. Well, if you can't answer the question, you need to spend more time with that person and get to know them. Because we should be able to resolve issues very quickly by saying, that's not her normal character. Therefore, we all need to now step in and support her because something's going on. And I don't see enough of those relationships happening um, so that we can really be a backbone for each other. Um, and allow each other to do our jobs, you know, and do them well. Relationships are, are really important, aren't they? I, I, I don't think I can stress the importance of relationships, not, not only between staff and pupils, but between staff, between staff and leaders in a school, that they're the things that make the school work. One of the things you just talked about then was if a, if a member of staff is unhappy or if they're struggling. Um, and... Mm -hmm. There are sometimes staff in schools who have lost their passion for the job um, and are struggling to do the job in the best way possible for them. What do you do about that? How do you work with those members of staff and how do you support them through that? Um, isn't it sad? Isn't it desperately sad when someone has lost their passion? Um, and I think we have to come at every issue with the same angle. How sad, um, how sad for them. They spent years getting into that profession. They spent years enjoying it and something's gone wrong. And do we wash our hands of those people or do we help them? And it's simple. <laughs> Sorry, I'm changing my battery. <laughs> Just that's, that's one of those things i had a son who was standing out of the door outside the door a moment ago my 18 year old he was waving at me trying to get my attention so these these things happen <laughs> okay so um yeah i'll come back to that but in, um, a, in a lot of cases heads want to potentially want to move that person on because they think yeah. they can replace them with someone else, maybe an NQT or someone who's got more of a spark and is more enthusiastic. But what's your approach to it? It's certainly not my approach. My approach would be to find out from that member of staff, 
why has that passion gone? What, what have I done or what has policy done to take away the, the fire and the passion? Um, generally, teachers know what's gone wrong. And it, it often all comes down to bureaucracy, paperwork, I'm tired. Um, nearly always, um, they think what they're doing is not purposeful. It nearly always comes down to that. So we have to go back to the why question with them. So why are we doing what we're doing? What, what isn't purposeful? How would you want it to look? What, what were you hoping to achieve? Do you want the children to succeed? Do you want them to be happy? Yes. Okay. So let's find the route to that. Um, we do have to meet certain standards, but those standards will come when children are happy and they're loved and they're cared for. Children learn. It's as simple as that. Um, so, so we have to do that. So if a teacher has lost their passion and they've lost their drive, those children are not receiving the education that they come to school looking for and that they deserve and actually that they need in order to be successful adults in society. So the teacher's letting the children down. But I think as a leader, I'm letting the teacher down because the teacher had passion once and had a love for the job once. And what have I done that's taken that away? And I have to, again, be humble and, and go and ask the question and say, what have I done? What can I do? How can I help? Um, and, and generally, it's, uh, it's usually quite a simple thing to fix, to be honest with you. It nearly always comes down to that, that, you know, oh, we have to do all this and I just don't see the point anymore. You know, OK, so let's look at that. And, and then as a group, you come back to that collaborative leadership. You say, look, some staff are feeling this. Are you feeling that? Do we need to relook at these systems and procedures I've put in place? Are we feeling that they're nonsensical? Um, and that's really important conversations to have on a regular basis. So teachers think, no, she does listen and she wants us to get on and do our jobs. My teacher should only care about one thing and that's my children. They should not be spending night after night, day after day, worrying about paperwork or data or what papers they're supposed to bring to the PPMs or have they done their report on their subject? Did they meet that deadline? Was it in the right format? I mean, come on, let's, let's get really sensible about why we ask teachers to do what they're doing. And their main role has to be the children. And if we are distracting them from that, then as leaders, we are failing. I was really interested to read um, on your website that um, the, the curriculum um, that you share with others the character curriculum um, is a curriculum that actually reduces workload for staff mm -hmm. um, and as a, re as a result of that you've got people who really want to work in your schools because it, it works for staff and it works for the pupils yeah so it's, it's too thronged approach really because on the one hand I'm looking at workload for teachers and, uh, and we come back to purposefulness, them doing their job and being passionate about it. And then there's the other hand where I thought, are we actually preparing children for the workplace and for society? And based on the way we teach, uh, I had to come to the conclusion that no, we're not. Before we hear more about how Julie addressed workload issues through the way the children are taught, I just want to share with you a little bit more information about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into, 
For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat, it's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's find out how Julie reduced workload for the staff in her schools. I asked why we did everything the way we do. And I couldn't honestly, hand on heart, give good reasons as to why we did things the way we did. Um, and so I decided to, I drew a little picture of a child and I imagined that child at the um, year six leavers service giving their final speech as to um, how sad they are to leave their primary school and everything that they remember. And I mean, they are tear jerking moments, I'm not <laughs> gonna lie. But, um, but actually I sat there and I thought now, you know, that child leaving, what is my wish for them? If I could wish anything for that 11 year old, what do I want them to leave primary school with? Um, and I started to list words around this picture of this child. And it was things like confidence, um, friendliness, kindness, caring, a loving person, positive, uh, ambitious. So I, I had all these words, these characteristics really, I, I filled on this page. And it only really dawned on me afterwards, I didn't put uh, a pass and sats because actually that wasn't what I cared most about. I'm preparing children for their futures, not for their year six sats. And, and I remembered, and then I looked at the, the, the curriculum we offer and the year six work and you think, hang on a minute, everything we're doing drives towards assessments and SATs and, you know, filling their books with work um, so that we can get three lots of evidence to tick off that objective and, and say that child is working at ARE. And I thought, nowhere in our curriculum are we suggesting that uh, we are sending out children who are confident, ambitious, and all of those lovely characteristics that I had listed. So I thought our intent was quite clear. My intent was very clear, but my implementation in no way reflected that. So I sat down with the staff and said, I'm, well, I, I asked them to do exactly the same thing. I gave them a picture of a child and I said, write around it what you want for that child. And we came up with about 30 characteristics between us and with, after all the staff had done it, and I combined everything, not one person put past their year six sats, not one teacher, not one member of staff. One person did put knowledge, that they gained knowledge. And I thought, that's what we should be doing. We should be giving them knowledge, but that's just the beginning of learning. To have a fact is just the start of the learning. And so we have to change our entire curriculum that actually does produce this child we want to send out into the world. So we turned our curriculum into a character curriculum. It's project-based. We got rid of all subjects. We don't teach subjects at all because they're just such a barrier to learning. Because as soon as children have a bad science lesson, it turns out they're not good at science and they don't <laughs> like it. And that stays with them for the rest of their life. So actually we've got to get rid of those barriers that create assumptions for children and, and how they define themselves. And we only allow them to define themselves in things like their characteristics. So if they are resilient or if they are a kind person, if they're a good person, um, if they're ambitious and so on. 
And so the children learn about those characteristics and each year they work on certain characteristics to improve and adopt. It's not to change who they are, it's only to make them aware that you can learn skills that become characteristics and you can own that. And those characteristics prepare you for anything life throws at you. Not a past result in SATs, but certainly if you're an ambitious and resilient person, um, it doesn't matter how fast the world changes, how technology changes, because bearing in mind, we're getting these children ready for a job that hasn't been invented and the technology hasn't been invented yet and they'll be using it. So how do we train them to do that? Well, we can't. All we can do is prepare the person to face anything that comes up and not just face it, but embrace it and be a part of it with confidence. Um, and so we completely changed our curriculum to focus on the person rather than the work. And how, how has that had an impact on the staff and the workload and what, what they do in response to the curriculum? So for children to take ownership of their learning, the teachers facilitate the learning, they create the right environment, they create the right opportunities, but the learning, the onus on the learning is on the child. So they're given projects, uh, which I say they're given, they're not, they choose the projects with the teacher. So, for instance, there was a lot on the news that Greta Thunberg was on the news a lot last year. The children were quite intrigued. It was part of conversation in the classroom. The children were quite sort of, I don't really understand what's going on about climate change. I don't really get this single-use plastic stuff. Um, and so we said, well, do you want to run that as one of your projects? Do you want to spend a whole term learning about it and finding your voice and your opinion? And they said, yeah. So... Ah, the skill of the teacher, and here we come back to valuing that teacher, is to weave those objectives from the curriculum into what the children want to learn about. I said to the children, don't learn about something and do nothing with it. You know, if you're going to find knowledge, then what I want you to do, well, my question to you is, so what? So if you say, well, climate change is really bad, so what? You know, the world's melting, so what? what are you going to do about it there's no point shouting from the rooftop you know be a Greta Thunberg do something about it get an opinion and speak and um so they spent you know um three months researching they looked at the science they looked at the geography they they wrote um articles they uh, interviewed they did interviews for the radio um, they were on television, they sang, they wrote and sang songs. Um, and right at the end, it was, what are you going to do with all this information? You can't have this information and keep quiet, because that's probably what's been the problem all along. Uh, Greta Thunberg came out and said, hang on a minute, there's, I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. So if you admire that, then, then adopt that characteristic. And they wrote a play that they then delivered to the community and it was all about change. It was all about this is the damage you're causing and these are the tiny things you can do to stop it. So they did focus heavily on single-use plastic within the community saying you can influence this and this is how you do it. They also wrote to local supermarkets in saying you're, you're, you're making bottles of shampoo. Why aren't you making bars of shampoo? You also hold some responsibility. I thought we might get interrupted by Ruby at, at one point. She's guarding the house for us. She's, uh, she's doing her job. Um, um, but yeah, so, um, so they, they hold responsibility um, within the community to change the world. The, the supermarkets hold responsibility. And what the children wanted to do was make everybody accountable for that and say to them, 
you also need to step up and do something about it. So, um, and what comes from that is a growth in their characteristics, that what they became quite ambitious about the world around them. They, what is key is our children should be part of society. We shouldn't institutionalize them and then throw them out the door at 18 years old. They have to be part of society from day one. It's part of their growing up. But the confidence that oozed out of these children when they did the play, they sang their song on the radio, um, writing really strongly worded letters to local businesses. And I was so, so proud of them. I was more proud of what they achieved there than I would ever if I sat them in front of a test and they got 100%. This is the child I want to send out into the world. And it sounds to me like that is something that would fire up the teacher as well, that, that learning becomes something that's enjoyable for the teacher to be a part of as well that they they're planning yeah. that with the children and they're engaging with the mm -hmm. children if, i think if it was me i'd probably be learning something myself it's you know the children, the, yeah i mean the children and the teachers are learning together um you know everyone's on a learning journey um no the children are doing 80 percent of the work the teacher is just a facilitator they don't write plans um, they, they can do a skeleton loop or an S plan, which people can look up S plans or, um, you know, um, there, there are lots of different types of plans where you just kind of draw a line and you say, well, I want to end up here. So I'll start here. And here's a couple of ideas in the middle. But really what's most important is the children do that. So the children and the teachers plan the three months together. And the, the only conversation that comes from that is the teacher is saying, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? And the children are saying, well, if we're going to spread the word, we need to find out about climate change. Okay, so I'll find the means for us to do the research. What else do you need from me? Well, we need to write to all the supermarkets and everything. Okay, so I'll help you hone your skills with formal writing. I can do that. So let's put that in the planning. We'll look at formal writing and what a really good letter looks like. And they're going, great, brilliant. And then you find the children are saying, I'm really not good at paragraphs. Can we put paragraphs in the plans? Yes, we can. You know, and when it comes to the finance around or, this, or geography, I'm not very good at that. Okay, well, let's have a look at that and we'll do that together. And the children very quickly start accepting their weaknesses and their areas for growth and where they really feel they need to learn. And children who have strengths say, well, I'm quite good at that. So I can lead that group if you like, but I'm not very good at this. So I'm going to need someone else to lead that area. Um, and all of a sudden, it turns out the children know themselves incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and, and the teacher just sits back and says, and what do you need from me? And then I'm called in as the head teacher and I say to them, what do you need from me? What is your end goal? And that links into what you were saying about top down leadership becoming bottom up leadership isn't it it, it sort of switches it all around and it, it gives ownership to the children and to the member of staff and and then i suppose that feeds into everybody supporting each other and i assume teachers might say oh my class want to do this and they look for someone else in the school who can help them to deliver that or support the children with different aspects and it, it sounds and it's like amazing. it's such a lovely conversation when you go in and the children are just you know they're jumping at you saying we're going to need this we're going to need this we're going to need money for this and um, we need to have the stage up we need to get lighting and i'm just like okay okay yeah, hang on yeah and i'm writing everything down saying well i will try and get these tasks together um, as soon as I can. Is there anything else you need? And they'll say things like, well, we need to go on a trip because we need to go into this place and we need to find out about that. And, 
and I go okay well I'll, I'll get that sorted as well that's fine yeah. and what's happening is the children and now the drivers the children are literally driving a truck down the road they are on a mission sat nav is on they're <laughs> on their way the music's playing and their truck is just filled with knowledge yeah. and they're going well, I'm off I'm off to change the world see ya um, they're the children I want to send out of school at the end of primary. And so in order for that to happen, we have to be doing that every single day. Now, from that, the children see the teachers in a very different way. The teachers now become facilitators. They become a support network to the children. They become that caring, um, supportive person that says, how can I help you? What can I do? The children feel valued, so they respect the teacher. That relationship becomes quite different. Um, it's more about the child telling the teacher what's needed and where they want the learning to go. The teacher is a master at weaving in that. that oh, sorry, <laughs> We've got, it's like, uh, it's the, it's the, we lead well pet show. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it. We've got a lot of love to give. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's the cop one. Oh, oh dear. Okay. That's okay. He's actually sitting with the parrot and trying to get the parrot's attention. So <laughs> he may up the parrot. This isn't good, is it? Um, yeah, so as I was saying, the, 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 <laughs> the teachers do uh, far less work. They are 20% now, and the children are doing you know, 80%. The teachers no longer write plans. Sorry. The, 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 the teachers no longer write plans. I don't want to see what their plans are. I just want to know what they want to achieve by the end of term. It's all I need to know. And the rest, I'll have to keep him out. Give me a second. <laughs> well, okay. Make up the parrot. Naughty. Naughty boy. I know. Wake you up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Move in the house. <laughs> Bizarre, don't ask. Um, Okay, I, I find I, I really find your passion is inspirational and I can see why you get lots of applications to work in your school. But as a head teacher, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of work to be done, isn't there, to to create such a, a culture of learning in your schools. So when you were a head teacher and when you were doing the executive head teacher role, how did you look after your own well-being? as a leader so that so that you're in the position where you can do your job most effectively it comes back to those main principles isn't it that you you have to be aware of your weaknesses your strength you have to build relationships i built relationships with head teachers all around me um, i respect other head teachers and their experience i'm humble to go to them and i'll say i'm i really need help i want to talk something over i don't know how to deal with this um, and the more conversations you have with people the more you learn lots of new skills and lots of different ways to approach tasks and i guess the biggest learning from that is um nothing's insurmountable there's nothing there's nothing you can't find a solution for because someone somewhere has already done it so don't be afraid to ask for help and work again i'm a collaborative leader so you know, as a head teacher, I work with other head teachers. I like to think that, you know, there's a group of, I, well, we have 18 head teachers in West Somerset and we are 18 head teachers working for West Somerset, just like we are 24 members of staff working for 100 children um, and so on. And I think we have to see ourselves as an important cog in a big machine and not be a bit of a dictator from the top, 
because it is painfully lonely. You will learn a lot less uh, if you don't turn to other people and respect their experiences. Um, and, uh, and then your well-being is going to be seriously affected. And I feel the same way for teachers. I feel that you must be part of that very supportive group. Um, and I think as well, we have to allow ourselves to make mistakes. We have to allow ourselves. If you don't take risks, you will never know. But if you do take a lot of risks, you will make loads of mistakes. Yeah. And you will fail far more than you succeed. Um, but you will become an amazing learner. You will have an immense amount of experience. And uh, what you can bring to the table is priceless. So if your leader does not allow you to take any risks and everything is safe, you, your growth has stopped um, and you will just stagnate. And that, I think, is one of the biggest dangers to mental health other than piling on unnecessary workload. I mean, we come back to marking. Marking is a contentious issue. Now, I stopped marking years ago. I told the teachers, just pack it in. The, teacher, the children don't want it. Um, I don't care for it. I have no interest in marking. Ofsted don't care about it. Um, let's remember why we're here. We're here for children to learn. Now, if you have to get evidence of children learning, give them a voice and ask them questions. And you will know by talking to children, a confident child with a voice will tell you everything they've been learning. And I had Ofsted a couple of years ago and, um, you know, the books did not have pages and pages and pages of extended learning and rewriting and rewriting and re-editing uh, nonsense. Didn't have all of that um, and had little or no marking. So some teachers still liked to mark, but I said it's about feedback. Think about how you feed back to the child and get marking out of your head as a concept and, and replace it with feeding back to the child. How are you letting the child know what's working well and what's not? So, um, and you can do that in a multitude of ways. It doesn't have to be with a green pen or a purple pen or a red pen or any type of pen. So, um, so when Austin came in, they would say, oh, you know, this, yeah, they're still only on their first book um, and um, we would expect to see a lot more work at this stage. And I said, oh, I, I wasn't aware that um, children writing in books is evidence of learning. I didn't, I wasn't aware that was the only way we measure it. Oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not. So I said, okay. So then they said, do you mind if we talk to the children? And I said, yeah, it's fine. And she, they went and they chatted to the children and came back and said, do you know what? Your children are so knowledgeable. There is nothing those children don't know and can't talk about. And I said, yeah, and they'll do it with confidence as well. Um, and the other thing she said to me was, I have never been in a school, and this has stuck with me forever, really. Um, I've never been in a school where children know the true meaning of love and your children know the true meaning of love. And I said, what do you mean? So she said, they love the teachers and they know the teachers love them, but in its truest form. And that, for me, was the best Ofsted result I could have ever had, really. The fact that the children are knowledgeable and they know the true meaning of love. So to do that, I think it comes down to, yes, relationships and bin everything that is not necessary. Just start looking at why you do everything you do. I reviewed 64 policies in one month and all I did was say, why? Why? If I was starting up a brand new school tomorrow, would it look like this? If the answer is no, go back to the beginning. Be brave. I was, just going, I was just going to say, and. and courage is one of the the most important things isn't it to be courageous and brave yeah. enough 
to to know that there is a different way to do things um i want to finish by asking if you could give one tip to head teachers um so that they can support the the creation of a of a well-being culture in their school what would you tell them to do okay so the very first thing i would do if you're not courageous and you're not a maverick like me and changes everything i was blessed with with governors who supported me 100 percent and allowed me to prove to them you know my philosophy works um and i've done i've done the courageous thing the brave thing for everybody else to see i've purposely done it and i set up the website to show people it does work and i've done it so if i can you can um, but, but what I would say is if you want to dip your toe in the water, the very first thing I would suggest you do is sit down with the staff and make time. I'm not talking about a rushed hour staff meeting. It might even be a whole inset day. But sit down with staff and look at the practices that you are carrying out and say to staff, do we know why we do it? And even if you brainstorm all the things they do where they're not quite sure why they do it, but they have to do it marking, taking all their books home, planning. Um, I mean, they might list a hundred things, you, you know, highlighting sheets of objectives to track where children are. Um, have a look at their practices and your systems and processes and ask, even if you list those and ask the teachers, do you know why we do that? And, you know, do you think it's a necessary, you know, system or process? It doesn't mean that they have to come up with an alternative, but listen to them because they may say, no, I don't know why we do it. And um, I, I don't I don't think we should, but I don't know the alternative. They don't need to know the alternative. But let's start with a conversation as to no one knows why we do this and be humble and say, I'm sorry that I haven't projected that. I want to talk to you about why I think we do it. But then I think I would say to the head teacher, take some time after that and it could be days it could be weeks to really think about why are you doing it are you doing it for Ofsted are you doing it for your governors or are you doing it for the children so everything must impact the children in a positive way if what you're doing is not having a positive impact on the children then why are you doing it and I think the, the key thing that you said there is that it starts with a conversation it starts yeah. by talking about things and yeah. like you said before getting to know your staff knowing yeah. what it feels like to be them and then being prepared to change things if you need to. you know i had a head teacher um, in bournemouth and his name was jeff royal and he was one of my first head teachers and he was he was northerner northerner you know and uh, he said what was on his mind you know he didn't hold back um, and at first that can be intimidating, but afterwards it's actually quite refreshing. And I remember he used to do what was called a chat by the fireside. And every now and again, he would call you to his office for a chat by the fireside. And there was no agenda. It was literally, let's talk. And I really appreciated that. It's only half an hour, maybe. And he would yeah. just say, how's it going, Julie? How are you getting on? You know, um, how are things coming on in your class? Are you liking your job? You know, and is there anything getting under your skin? And you just think, I really appreciate that time. Um, we didn't move mountains or change things hugely from that conversation. But you know what? Just being listened to was priceless. And I'll never forget him. And I've always carried out that activity. I've always done the chat by the fireside. And he gave me that. 
I'm I mean, that's, that's another that's another great tip. I could talk to you all day, Julie. I, I could just I could just listen to the the wisdom that you uh, that you've got. Just I could just listen to it all day. So background, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to find you, how do they do that? So there's two places really. I mean, there's my my business is School Omega Solutions, otherwise known as Ethan. <laughs> SOS because that's what we're always calling aren't we SOS come and help me I'm yeah. drowning um, and then um, there's the Quantock Education Trust in Bridgewater um, so I work for them as well and support them um, and their primary schools to to change so um, some schools are really moving ahead with well-being and care of the teachers um, but you know that that um, curriculum for children that prepares them for life and Quantock Education Trust are grabbing that with both hands and so I love working with them they're just too easy to work with <laughs> too like-minded it's great <laughs> brilliant I will put all those details in the show notes as well so that people can find all the information and how to get in touch with you if they'd like you to come and do some work with them so that'll all be in the show notes thanks again so much for the time that you've given us today I know you're a very busy person and I really appreciate it I think there's been some really insightful and useful things that I hope leaders in schools and teachers in schools can take away from it so thank you very much and I hope we can speak again in the future I hope so too yeah take care Vicky nice to talk to you I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Julie she's such an inspiration for how things can be done differently in schools she's such a courageous leader who has led her schools authentically and with love and care and she hasn't been afraid to do so she also doesn't let outside pressures or high stakes accountability league tables or any of those things get in the way of leading in a way that emphasizes kindness and collaboration and the outcomes that she's achieved in the schools where she's worked and the schools that she's supported are evidence that respect and trust for staff are values that can be embraced by leaders in schools and will lead to successful outcomes. I just find that such an inspiration and I hope that you've been inspired by listening to Julie today and that you're taking away some strategies that you can use in your own schools to support the well-being of all of your staff. In the next episode, I'll be interviewing Chris Foley from St Monica's High School in Prestwich. We look at a different approach to well-being, with a focus on systems and structures in schools. So I hope you can join me for that episode. Look after yourselves, look after your staff, and lead well. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, HeadTeacherChats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.